So this morning, um, as we dive in, the message obviously is geared towards men because it's Father's Day, but obviously the truths we're going to talk about from Scripture are applicable all the way across, whether you're male or female. But we are focusing on dad today, focusing on men, and uh, because it's, it's Father's Day. And so with that, I want to begin with this simple question that we can all ask, and the idea is, who do you look like? Who do you look like? And so when we think about it, like a couple of years ago, we did that uh, Facebook, did that doppelganger thing, the person that you look like. And so a lot of you saw my person. It was Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, right? So literally, I mean, talking like literally, it was really funny. So he was the drummer for Nirvana, right? And then he now still is the lead singer and guitarist uh, for, for Foo Fighters. And, and it was one of those things like literally, especially in the season when, you know, I was a little bit younger, we probably looked a little bit more alike. I, I would get it everywhere I'd go. I'd go to the airport, people would stop me, literally, right? I'd go to literally the Starbucks across the street. I would get my coffee cup, and it would say Dave Grohl across the front. They had no idea what my name was. I was just Dave Grohl to everybody in Starbucks. We went to the concert literally before we moved here, and it was hilarious. People had, like, their, their Beatles moments with me. I would walk up behind them at the concert, and they'd go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, right? Like, I'm not him. I'm not him. Like, you have to be Dave Grohl. I'm like, I'm not, can we take a picture anyway? I'm like, yes, I took literally probably 15 pictures that night with people at the Foo Fighters concert, literally, and passing them out to people. Randall, we were talking about earlier, I was with somebody, Randall tried really, really, really hard to get me backstage to meet him, and like, it just didn't work out. Like, we were 30 seconds away from making it happen. It was like one of the great failures of my life. No, but it was like, this is really, really funny. And so in my life, it's been really cool. But here's the one that Randall put up right here. Elizabeth Montgomery. Remember her? She was in that show back in the day, Bewitched, right? Literally, people were like, hey, why is there a picture of you kind of blondish hair on this on the on the screen? This is Randall right here. So this was her doppelganger for the week, right? Randall's much prettier, let's just be honest, right? And so, no, but seriously, so there's this idea of who we look like. But you all recognize, you can take those pictures down now, thank you, Sandy. Now, when you, you know how it works, right? The idea of like, who do you look like? And so in the context of my, of our lives, right, there are people that we may physically look like. But the most important question to ask is, who do we look like in the context of who we are on the inside. It's like, like these guys right here, we may have, we have no idea we have anything in common with them other than what we look like, but I know who I look like in the context of my inner parts, right? It's like my mom and dad, they both had incredible influences in my life. Both of them did, right? But again, talking about my dad this morning, like when you look at my belief structure, when you look at my convictions, when you look at my political affiliation, when you look at uh, my, my, my religion, my Christianity, when you look at all these things about who I am, so many of those things ultimately were, were shaped by and partially determined by my dad's influence on my life. I view things a certain way today in large part because of his influence in my life. And some of those things have been great, and some of those things in my life I've had to kind of process through, right? But the idea for us is that we are ultimately influenced by the context of those that we are doing life with and who we're closest with us. And so in that, I look at the, the life of the dads that we have, and all of us, right, all of us have been influenced by dads. And, and it's beautiful. We've already named it, and, and, and Brooks read the prayer through it, that when we think about that list of dads, yes, yeah, some of us have these great bio dads who shaped us, and if we're honest, 
some of us just didn't have great dads who were bio dads who helped shape and, and do great things in our life. But, but if we look at the, our lives, as I look at my own, I look at it and go, my dad influenced me. But there is a, there is a long list of other men who have shaped who I am today, who have shaped my belief structure, who have shaped my integrity, who have shaped my character, who have shaped how I parent, how I've, who have shaped how, I, how I'm a husband to my wife, right? Like, there's a long list, but here's the crazy thing about that list. It's still growing. Like, there are still men that God are bringing, God's bringing into my life who are, who are shaping me. Who are, who are making me better at who I am and who God's called me to be. And so this morning when we come into this, this moment, I think it's so great that we take a, a moment and we stop and we celebrate dads. Yes, our bio dads, but, but also just to celebrate. And, and, and in a sense, let me say this with humility, to pat yourself on the back and say, job well done for those that you've influenced. Not in arrogance, but to say, yeah, I'm thankful for the people I've got to influence. I'm thankful that I get to be on someone's list when they look at their lives. And so when we come in this morning, it is, it is good and it's, it's healthy and it's, it's right that we, that we stop and we remember and we think about the list. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I, I stop on a regular basis. This is a true story. I stop on a regular basis. They'll say once or twice a year. And I just go back down my list. And it's really fascinating if you've never done it. Like people who all of a sudden come back to your memory, that maybe they weren't like a, an A-level influence, but they did something in one moment that shaped who you were. Like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about that person. And I love doing that because it just caused me to stop and say, God, I am who I am because of, of you and the, the men in this here today, like the men that you've placed into my life. There's a, there's a list of women too, don't worry, right? But this list of men who have influenced me. And God, I thank you that I still have the pen in hand. And I'm still every year writing new people onto that mental list of who have influenced me and I'm grateful for. And so I encourage you to, to stop today and to celebrate and to thank God for who those are. And there's people that you need to reach out to that I encourage you to do that. But the, the second part of this list is, is just recognizing that we have been designed men to be those who others put onto their list of influence. We are called to be influencers. We are called to be those who people can look at and they become better because they've lived their life around us. Both in what we say, but more importantly in what we do. And so I think it's just so, so to make it really simple for us this morning, men, because we like simple things a lot of times. Like, just stop for Five seconds and name the people who you know right now with intentionality that you're influencing. Like who today would put you on their list? Who, when Jesus said, hey, as I have made disciples, now you go make disciples. Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? Who are you investing into? Who are you serving? Who are you giving yourself to and influencing? You can name your own children. That's fine, right? But who else in your life would put you on their list? 
Because the thing I want to say this morning, and this is my personal conviction, I believe that God has designed every single one of you men to be a man who influences others and gets them to where God wants them to be. You've been designed with that longing. You've been designed, you've been designed with a perfect place for the Holy Spirit to fit inside of you and move in you and through you to influence others. And so the question that we're asking this morning is, who are you influencing? It's great to look at who's influenced you so you can learn from them. And then who are you engaging and investing into and influencing yourself? The life that you live and the convictions that define you, they most likely stem back in the context of your life. We are the ones Now that God is moving through to influence others. And so with that, with that, I would say this. We are empowered to influence. We are called to be a dad. And all a dad is, honestly, is an adult male. Hear this. It's real simple. An adult male. Hey, I'm one, right? who influences and shapes the lives of the generation coming after me. Super simple. That's what a man is, right? They're just coming to adult male, one who influences and shapes the lives of the generation coming after us. And it requires an intentionality. It requires an intentionality on our part to grab hold of and grow into the purpose for which we were created. Basically, it's this. You've been designed to influence. It's why God has called you out in the context of being a man. And in that, you have to be intentional with it. Yes, you can unintentionally impact people, but isn't it better when you intentionally do it? Don't you put more energy and more investment and more time and you make that happen? Intentionality, as we grow into the purpose for which we were created, the reason is simple. We have the greatest influence in another person's life when we are living the life that God has for us to live. With intentionality, as we're living the life God's calling us to live and we're influencing others, right? We have the greatest influence when we are living, when you are living the life that God has called you to live, when you are fulfilling your God-given purpose in life. And so as a reminder, this morning, two weeks ago, we talked about, we talked about an overarching purpose that defines each of us, right? And we defined it three ways, kind of these three, these three reasons that we exist. Number one, for the purpose of belonging to God. Two, for the purpose of being God's people in life. And three, for the purpose of doing God's work. So tying all this together, it's really simple. You've been designed to influence because you are a man. You need to be intentional with it. But it begins by you living the purpose for which you've been created. And you have your greatest influence when you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And that purpose is to belong to God and to be his family. To continue to be God's people like in this continual growth in life. As three, you just do the works of God. You serve others. You love your neighbor. And as you do this with intentionality, as you intentionally give yourself to others. And ladies, you can apply this to yourself. You, you see that, right? It's not just to men, right? I'm just talking to them this morning, but it really applies to you too. 
I'm talking to the men. Jesus is talking to all y'all. Here we go. So in that, right? So in that, the question, what does it look like to live our purpose? This morning, I want to read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It's a story about Jesus. It's a story about he and his disciples. And I believe what we'll find in it is that it will shape our understanding of God's purpose in our lives as we see it being fulfilled in Jesus. And then we see the influence that Jesus had on the lives of his disciples. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture here. John 13, starting in verse 1, going to verse 17. Your own Bible, you can read it in or you can follow it here. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had come from God, and Jesus knew that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that's wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never, ever wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you were clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you were clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Guys, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in this story of Jesus, like so many other stories of Jesus in Scripture, it speaks volumes, and it's going to speak volumes to us. It's going to influence us about who Jesus is and how who he is shaped the life of the disciples that he was in relationship with. You have to see, and I think we know this, Jesus influenced his disciples. We will see him fulfilling his ultimate purpose in life as we defined earlier, and then we'll see how his influence impacted those that he was closest with. But first, and I want you to see this, I, this, this I'll be honest with you, This is I read this in verse 1 this week, and I found myself, I've I've honestly kind of, you know how you kind of get lost in these truths of Scripture that kind of define your own spiritual life? I found myself early, up early on Saturday morning praying through for a period of time this part of verse 1. Because I want to catch us up on what God was speaking in me. I want to catch us up on the nature of Jesus' relationship with his disciples as portrayed in verse 1. It says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them. To the end. So we cannot, we cannot overstate the power of this verse. 
Jesus didn't just influence this group from a physical and emotional distance. No, he, he influenced them from the context of a deep and rich and holistic relationship of love and affection. In fact, in my study, the idea that the King James Version probably more accurately portrays the meaning of the verse when it says, He loved them to the fullest extent. Like, just kind of pressing pause on the moment. Like, this is what happened on Saturday. I'm sitting there about 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. Everyone's still asleep. Thankfully, my dog is nowhere around because she always bothers me when I'm praying, right? And, and I just start praying, and I just say, Jesus, awaken in me an understanding that you love me to the fullest extent. And what that means like, I, I, I got lost in the moment. I was like, God, this is so rich. You love the disciples. You, you influence them to the fullest extent. I love that. Like, when you think about that in the context of what that relationship looked like, just four expressions of relationship with Jesus are are found from John 14 to John 20 here are the the four expressions of this relationship that we see Jesus in John 15:15 15, 15 relating to right kind of like loving them to the fullest extent loving them in the context of being friends we see Jesus loving them in John 20:17 as he calls them he says call my brothers to me he calls them brothers so he influences them in the context of this relationship as brother we see John 17 just read the whole chapter Jesus is praying for the the disciples who were present with him but then he prays for all those who would come after them us right and he's kind of like a the shepherding prayer right this this prayer of protection God I pray that you would be with those that you've given me so we see Jesus relating as a shepherd a protector. And then John 14 10 says, Philip, don't you know me? I, I, I am the father to you, right? The father's in me. I'm in the father. So he relates them in, as father. So when we talk about loving them to the fullest extent, we can't miss the understanding of this, this nature of how Jesus would have defined it, how Jesus defined the fullest extent of his relationship with his followers. And I, here's the thing. Would you please fight to know it beyond here and to know it here. Because there's something rich and deep about knowing I'm being influenced by one who holistically, to the fullest extent, loves me with great compassion and passion in the context of his relationship with me. And I would just say this, I think we get it. If I have been influenced by someone who loves me to the fullest extent, then don't you think it will mean that in turn, I will influence and love others to the fullest extent. I usually give away to the degree to which I've received from someone. And so if I've received love to the fullest extent with confidence in the context of these types of relationships that Jesus had with his disciples and has with us, then when I then influence others, man, it has a greater impact. Do you, you see that, right? It's like we feel that you get it. And so that's why yesterday morning I'm like, God, I have such a long way to go in this. I don't say that in a false humility. Like, I was literally in the moment going, God, I, huh, like, I know me. I know my heart. 
Like, I'm a good guy, but God, there's so many ways of growth and humility and service and sacrifice, God, that have to become natural to me because they aren't. Lord, help me to understand the fullest extent. I mean, think about the fullest extent. I mean, it's the cross of Jesus, isn't it? The gospel of Jesus, the good news. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place. That's good news. It's the gospel. The disciples of Jesus were influenced because of their relationship with and close proximity to Jesus. And the same will have to be true for us. You could say secondarily, you can't lead someone somewhere that you've just never been. You can't influence someone to this depth of Jesus unless you have gone there yourself. And I don't say that with condemnation. It's only an invitation to this intimate place of father, brother, protector. Man, it's like this beautiful picture of growing into this proximity to Jesus. And as we do it, then we know how to lead him to the place that we have been so that we can love to the fullest extent. Our takeaway is we are shaped. We are shaped by our close proximity to Jesus. And we shape others by drawing near first to Jesus and then drawing near to them and just leading them to the love that we've experienced to the fullest extent. In the next few verses we'll look at, they speak volumes to us about who Jesus was, the person the disciples watched and were influenced by, both in what they heard from Jesus and by what they saw him do. So if purpose begins with belonging to God and being part of his family, then verse 3 shows us that Jesus had fulfilled this purpose and was unbelievably confident in who he was. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew, like that's this powerful word of knowledge, right? This deep inner confidence, this conviction, right? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had come from God, and Jesus knew he was returning to God. This verse says so much about the inner confidence that defined Jesus' existence. He knows who he is. He knows who he is in his Father's eyes, and he knows where he is going. As one person said, the theologian I read says, Jesus was fully aware of his authority, of his divine origin. He was fully aware of his destiny. Jesus' confidence was so powerful. Jesus was confident of who he belonged to, of the family he was a part of, right? This First part about belonging to the family of God. Jesus was fully aware in the moment. And he was so confident. It was so, and his confidence was so powerful that John could see it and felt compelled in this verse to share it. Why would John have said this? Why would he have said it? He said it because he watched Jesus. And in watching him, he saw something unique that influenced him. Listen, whenever you talk about someone who influenced you, what do you talk about? How they influence you. John's talking about how he was influenced. He's like, I, I think he would say, and I'm just paraphrasing and I apologize. I'm putting words into John's mouth. But what if John says something like this? I just watched Jesus and I saw something in him that I didn't see anywhere else. There was a confidence he had in everything that he did and I was drawn to it. 
We see that. We, we see historical precedent for that in Scripture where it says Jesus came and preached and said, there was a, he preaches as one who has authority. They describe something different about him. John's describing how he's been influenced. He's been influenced because Jesus is fulfilling this purpose of having confidence of being part of the family of God. That's <coughs> some water, babe. Let's all pause and take a water break right now, please. Go ahead and take your coffee. Water, whatever you have right now. I've been sick all week, so this is going better than I anticipated. All right. Now, John's influenced by his confidence, but here's the thing that's interesting. The confidence that Jesus was profound, we're going to dive into this a little deeper here in a second, but what we're about to see in verse 4 through 5 is, listen, Jesus humiliates himself. For the purpose of influencing his disciples. Like he literally does something that's so culturally inappropriate that we read the whole sequence. You don't have to spend a whole time looking at it. It's like, Peter's like, no, you can never do this. No, 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 no. Never, ever let anyone see you do this. This is so inappropriate. Do not do, you're never going to do this. Uh-uh. It ain't happening. You're not washing my feet. But Jesus says, he just doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care to be humiliated. He doesn't care to make himself inferior in the eyes of men. He just doesn't care. And have you ever wondered why? Like, why doesn't Jesus care? Now, if we were to sit in our seminary class and every and the professor were to say, why do you think this is the case? We would each have our own unique answer. So I'm going to give you how I would have answered it. And you can come up with your own. That's fine. But here's one of the reasons why I think that Jesus didn't care. He didn't care. Why? Because he just had such a confidence in who he was. He just didn't give a rip what anybody thought about him except for the Father. He lived such a confidence in who he was in God's eyes and the Father's eyes and what the Father said about him. He didn't care who he served, how he did it, how humiliated he became, and what service looked like. He just didn't give a rip. And I'll be honest, I would love to be that confident. I would love to be that confident for my girls. I would love to be that confident for our youth and for all of you. And I would love for you to be that confident in the way that you served me. I would love for us to mutually express a confidence in our relationship with the Father that we just don't give a rip who laughs at us, how many butts of jokes that we are. We just don't care because God thinks we're amazing and we know who we are. He knew who the Father had put all things under his power. He had come from God. He was returned to God. That's all that mattered. Oh, my gosh. This is this confidence he wants to grow us into. Man, this is a lot better than the first service, by the way, right? Now, let's see what I wrote down. There's no need to prove anything when you are walking in confidence with who you are. Confidence in self, birth, that of knowing who we are in God's eyes. It produces an inner peace that allows us to stop striving to make a name for me. Like, have you ever met someone like that? Would you rather be around the person 
who strives for others or strives for themselves. And Jesus is like, man, it's all about you. I'm here to model for you so you do unto others. And then have you been influenced by Jesus this way? Are you so confident in who you are in the family of God that you've stopped striving for self? You stopped fighting to make a name for self? And you are confidently willing to be humiliated for the purpose of serving those that God's put into your life to influence? Or do you still feel this urge inside of you to make yourself known? Jesus says, if you're going to influence y'all, it's not about you. It's about me as you humiliate yourself and choose inferiority so that others may increase. Man, I spent a lot of time on that point. Here we go. Number two, in verse four through five, we find the second and third parts of the purpose all kind of wrapped up in one. So Jesus continued in life to model an ongoing life of devotion to his father, right? Continuing to move in relationship with the father as he was doing God's work, right? So God's purpose, being in relationship, continuing to grow and be made into Christ's image, right? And then as we continue to do the works of God, co-laboring with him, right? And so in this, again, he influenced his followers by modeling for them a life he was calling them to emulate, Right, this beautiful piece. He influenced his followers by modeling for them a life he was calling them to emulate. What we find in these verses, listen, at the height of his knowledge of who he is, and the height of his confidence, having all authority on earth, containing all the power in the world, of being the Son of God, Jesus literally at the peak, at the pinnacle, at the place of confidence, right? He exercised that authority and power by expressing the greatest level of cultural servanthood he could express in the moment. As what? An example that all of us should do. Now, here's the interesting thing. Feet washing just isn't a thing in our culture, right? Like feet washing now in our culture is usually like this lights off. Soft music playing in the church with this awkward moment of taking our shoes off and putting it into some basin with someone who's fully clothed. I don't know why we do that right now. No, this whole thing of like coming and putting our feet into a basin of water. And it's really awkward because we have probably never had our feet washed by anyone. So to be honest with you, this is this doesn't fit into our culture. Literally, one of my classes, the professor asked us one time, he said, what is a cultural, go home and write a paper about what a cultural equivalent is of washing feet in our culture, right? I'm like, oh, it's so interesting because in our culture, in our culture, we just don't wash feet. Like we walk into someone's house, we just keep our shoes on. If not, we take them off, but what we have on? Socks. If we don't have socks, then we just have our bare feet. But our feet really aren't all that dirty, right? Because we primarily walk on concrete or asphalt or, or grass. And so we walk in and primarily like whatever we have going on dirty feet wise, it's kind of like a little sweaty thing going on in our shoes, all right? So, so you don't have much going on. But when you were talking in this culture, whenever you walked into anyone's house, it was very comfortable and really normal to have your feet washed every time you walked in. And it was always the lowest servant in the house who was doing it. And the reason that you did is because when you walk and you're walking around, have little short sandals, whatever it may be, right? And you're walking through kind of dirt and, and mud and like, you know, raw sewage that kind of all over the place as you're walking around, right? And then you've got animals everywhere and there's just like fecal matter, right? So there's all this stuff kind of intermixed together and that's what you have going on. I'm just saying. 
Get the picture. That's why you did it. It was just, it was just really practical. And so in this, right, Jesus comes in and recognizes, man, we've been in this moment. This is kind of a secret moment for us. We didn't invite any servants to come in. No one's feet have been washed. That's kind of gross. We've been walking, right? We've been walking. But we're going to come into this moment. And everyone knows that the person of highest authority in the, in the room would never do it, right? That's Jesus. But Jesus didn't care. It was never too low an act of service. So in this, Jesus' teaching in the, in the moment, influencing demands no limits on our service for the ones that we are shaping. I'll say that again. Influencing others demands no limits on our service for the ones that we are shaping. As one person said, since the meeting was intended to be secret, no servants were present. We just said that. None of the disciples, I love this. I want you to hear this. None of the disciples was ready to volunteer for such a task, for each would have considered it an admission of inferiority to all the others. I'm going to read that again, but I'll read it. I want you to not think about Jesus now and his disciples, and I want you to think back to, look, I'll give you the last month. When did you have something pop up that you just didn't think that, you, that in doing it, you would have felt inferior. That's just not who you are. So you didn't do it and had someone less than do it. Read it again. Since the meeting was intended to be secret and no servants were present, none of the disciples was ready to volunteer such a task, for each would have considered it an admission of inferiority to all the others. Jesus modeled a lack of concern for being seen as inferior. He goes on to say this person that as Jesus engaged the role of a servant here, this, his voluntary humiliation, it literally rebuked the pride of the disciples. Jesus was the man who primarily influenced all of his disciples and modeled for them what a life of purpose looks like. He was the example. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I struggle as a man with this message. Like, I think about my family of origin. I love my dad and I love my granddad, right? I mean, they were men's men. They really were. My dad's six foot four. I don't know where that came from. I didn't get any of it, right? But it's like six foot four is all man, right? And so I look at it and go, man, we did not celebrate inferiority in our home. Like, we did not celebrate humiliation. We did not celebrate in the moment of losing so that somebody else could win and be built up, right? We did not celebrate being unknown so that others may be raised up. We did not celebrate any of those things, but it was what Jesus modeled for his children, for his brothers, for his friends. It's what he modeled for them as their protector. He modeled such a confidence and a comfort in who he was as a child of God that he embraced this lifestyle of service, influencing those who were under his care. Not caring what it cost him. Not caring this idea of inferiority or being seen less than, right? He didn't struggle saying, you better honor me and respect me. He didn't sit there in the moment and say, don't you see who I am? He didn't make much of himself. 
Jesus came in the moment and said, hey, let's talk about how awesome John the Baptist is. Of all men, born of woman, he's the best. Jesus was born of a woman, I'm just saying. You can see the Holy Spirit, but born of a woman, right? Like he's coming and was still, still raising up. He's coming in the moment saying, I'm going to take off my outer garment and humiliate myself because that's the example I'm giving for every single person. If you're going to influence, then it's about them, not about you. It's about your honor. It's about their honor. It's about them being superior and you being inferior. It's about making much of Jesus and making much of others and making much of le- make much less of you. And so when we stand in this moment, the question, in what way are we influencing those who are under our care? In what way are you influencing those who are under your care? If it doesn't look like the model that Jesus expressed in these verses, then I just want to give you an invitation. You can change, right? That's the beauty of it. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation this morning. It's like, hey, yes, I, man, I'm really bad at that. Jesus, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm so defined by my culture. Who says the top of the ladder is the best thing, right? You do the upside down kingdom. You don't come out as a lion in Revelation. You come out as the lamb to kind of show us what real power looks like, being the one who sacrificed and being a servant. That's awesome, Jesus. That's going to be our lifestyle. Is that your model? And if not, then this morning I just want to invite you to fulfill your purpose, to live in such utter confidence of how awesome and beautiful and amazing you are in God's eyes. And as he relates to you as father and as friend and as advocate and brother, right? He loves you. You can live in that confidence. So when you choose humiliation and inferiority, You do it because you just want to make somebody else great, and you don't care. Not that uh, that that you let other people walk all over you. That's not the heartbeat. You're choosing in the moment to just be a servant as Jesus was. And as we make this choice and we become like Jesus, then all of a sudden, man, we just live in confidence with who we are in Christ, and people start putting our name on their list of influence. And I don't know about you, but I love, to be completely honest, when people tell me I've influenced them. It makes me feel awesome. It makes me go, oh, God, thank you. I'm not wasting my life. God, I'm so tired of living for myself. I think about myself all the time. I'm just thankful that someone's getting something from me. That's awesome. God, may that continue to grow. And that's where God wants to lead you men this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you just for verse 15. It says, I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. I thank you for your example. I thank you for your model, Jesus. I I thank you for the way that you have loved us, fought for us, for the way that you have been our brother that you have been our friend, that you've been our protector, that you've been our father. Praise you, Father, just for the way that you have um, put us all in community with the purpose of then sharpening one another. And I pray this morning, Jesus, I pray for breakthrough in each and every man's life who's here. I pray for breakthrough. I pray, Jesus, that you would move them from rejection that you would move them to a place of acceptance in you. That you would move them from this place, kind of feeling inferior in life, God, to, 
to shifting to a confidence that they have in you. Because it's unhealthy to live with an inferiority complex because we don't know who we are in Christ. That's unhealthy. It's healthy, Lord, when we have confidence in you and then choose to lift others up as we embrace being inferior and being a servant. And so this morning, I just pray, Jesus, for a breakthrough in each man's life. That would you speak over them with truth and shape in Jesus' name. This morning, I just want to invite you to respond as we always do. We have offering baskets here. Just invite you to worship through your offerings. Have communion available. It's our celebration every Sunday of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the sacrifice that He made for us, the conquering, the hell, death, and sickness, so that we might have life. And this is the way that He's come today to continue to speak life into us. We'll have ministry teams available on both sides. They just want to bless you and love on you today. Men, you have not arrived, and there's room for growth. So this morning, would you just devote yourself to the next step in your journey? It's as simple as that. You don't have to get to the end this morning. That's what we like to do. Let's get to the end. No, let's just take the next step today. Let God put his finger on areas of growth, areas of breakthrough, areas where he wants to challenge, areas where he just wants to wake you up, areas where he wants to call you to greatness. Let's take a step this morning. So respond as the Lord leads.